Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, depending on what time of day it is for you right now. This is episode 20 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, a podcast produced by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, to offer words of hope, grace, and truth during this very unique time of the coronavirus. Our last two episodes have been on healing and purpose, and today's episode is meant to offer an illustration from Scripture that I hope will do two things. One, I hope today's episode ties together some of the loose threads from the last two episodes by offering a concrete biblical story that illustrates some of the themes we've gone over as it pertains to healing and purpose. And then number two, I want today's episode to introduce what I see as the linchpin of this whole conversation, something without which everything I've said thus far will no doubt fall apart, and that's an unshakable belief in our worthiness before God and a clear understanding of God's power to use what we see as our weakness and our flaws to nevertheless make a measurable love-spreading difference in the world. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, 
I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Here ends the reading. So in my 12 or so years as a priest, I found that what hinders us the most in finding the healing and purpose in life that we crave is a belief that we're not worthy or talented or capable enough to make a meaningful contribution. We associate purpose with perfection, and we equate spiritual maturity with having it all together. And of course, given that we live in a world where the best and the brightest have a competitive edge, it makes perfect sense that we would feel this way. The more impressive our resume, the more likely we are to get picked. That's just how things work in the kingdom of the world. But what about the kingdom of God? Does God delight in calling the strong? Does God give purpose to people who have it together and are in control of their life and don't have imperfections? Are they the ones who spread love in this world? So to tie up this conversation about healing and purpose, which again has been the theme for the previous two episodes, I thought I would approach this by just telling you a story It's a story about God and about God's work here on earth and about the people God uses to do that work. And it is a story you know, you are familiar with this story. It begins with a guy named Abraham and with a promise that God makes to him through you and your descendants, I want to bless the entire world. That is God's promise. Now, in the context of this biblical story, humanity has fallen from grace. The world is out of joint. People don't know God. They don't love God. They're not happy. And so God draws up a rescue plan and chooses Abraham to play a pretty big role. Through you, Abraham, and your descendants, I will fix this mess. I will use your descendants, your children, to bless and restore the entire world. Well, that's Genesis. By the time Exodus begins, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And maybe a few of these slaves have heard about God's promise, but I doubt they believe it because all they've known their whole life is slavery. And so as the book of Exodus opens, the situation looks hopeless. And just when it seems that things cannot get any worse, they do. The Egyptian pharaoh starts worrying about the Israelites because whenever God commands them to be fruitful and multiply, they listen. These people have lots of babies, and Pharaoh does not want to be outnumbered. After all, that would be very bad for national security. And so he gets Congress to pass a law. Newly born Israelite boys will be killed and thrown into the Nile. Well, one day, an Israelite boy is born by the name of Moses, and his mother cannot stand the thought of losing him. 
And so she hides him for three months. And when she cannot hide him any longer, she makes a little basket and she sets baby Moses down to float along the Nile, hoping against hope for a miracle. Well, in an ironic twist, Pharaoh's own daughter finds Moses and decides to keep him, which means that Moses, the Israelite, is now the adopted grandson of Pharaoh himself, the man who originally wanted him dead. And so baby Moses grows up to discover that he is living in two very different worlds. On the one hand, he is concerned for his own people. After all, he is an Israelite. But on the other hand, Moses is educated, trained, and raised not only as an Egyptian, but as Egyptian royalty. Remember, he is the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. We can assume he lives in a palace. He has nice food and nice clothes, but he is not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. Talk about a messed up situation. Moses' own biological family are slaves in his grandfather's kingdom. Our podcast today began with a reading from Exodus 3, but Let's rewind and listen to what happens in Exodus chapter 2, and I quote, When Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his people, the Israelites, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Israelite slaves. After looking around to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, some preachers like to give Moses' act a positive spin, but the Bible just does not support this position. God does not tell Moses to kill this guy. Moses murders him in cold blood. And predictably, it makes the front page of the Egyptian Post the following morning, and Pharaoh, his own grandfather, puts a price on his head— Moses is now a convicted murderer, and so he runs for his life, and he flees to the land of Midian. Fast forward a couple of years. Moses is now in the witness protection program. Moses gets a new wife, a nice young lady by the name of Zipporah. He gets a new career, deciding to enter the Midian shepherd training program. And finally, Moses has a son, And so Moses, the runaway killer, gets a second chance at life. You see, all of that is in the background of this reading I shared from Exodus. Moses has been in Midian 40 years. He has a whole life behind him that no one even knows about, a life he's ashamed of. But one day, everything changes. God comes to Moses and says, I'm choosing you. Moses, I want you, of all people, to be the one to confront Pharaoh. I choose you, Moses, to set my people free. Do you see why Moses' response makes sense? Who am I? I'm not special. I'm not strong. I clearly do not have my life together. Who am I to have such a noble purpose? Who am I to do this work? And Moses is right. I mean, could God have chosen a more dysfunctional person? Moses has never met his parents. He's adopted. Ethnically, he's an Israelite, but he is raised an Egyptian. Moses has identity issues. He doesn't really know who he is. With one hand, he enslaves the Israelites. 
With the other hand, he avenges their abuse. Moses is impulsive. He kills a man in cold blood. He's also a coward. Not wanting to own up to his mistake, Moses runs away to Midian and begins living a lie. And if all that weren't enough, we later learn that Moses stutters. Years of therapy could not sort this stuff out. Moses does not have his life together. He does not feel very strong. And God knows he is not special. And so whenever God calls him and says, I'm choosing you, Moses naturally objects. God, you have made a mistake. You obviously do not know about my past. Who am I? In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Consider your own call. Not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Paul's point is that our God does not delight in calling the strong. God delights in calling the weak. Why? Because they are the perfect vessel to display God's strength. Now, perhaps like me, you were raised to believe that the people in the Bible were very mature in their faith, that they were morally superior, and that they had it all together. And so, let's just get really clear that this is not the case. Abraham was a creepy old man. Jacob was insecure, Joseph was abused, Gideon was poor, Rahab was immoral, David was an adulterer, Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was obnoxious, John the Baptist was eccentric, Peter was impulsive, Martha was anxious, the Samaritan woman could not hold together a marriage to save her life, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Paul was a cripple, Timothy was timid, And I think by now you probably know where I stand with Moses. These are the people our God has chosen to work through. They are not strong. They are not special. They don't have it all together. And that's precisely why God chose them. They were the perfect vessel to display God's strength. And so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there are two things about your life that I know are true. First, you really don't have it all together. If you're anything like me, you get lonely and anxious, you're frustrated by this coronavirus, and you hate wearing a mask, and you want to see people, but you don't know if you can. Like all of us, I imagine you're somewhat sinful and stubborn and scared, and You fumble through life trying to balance serving God and being a good person and managing your life and your problems. One way or another, I know the world has taken its toll on you and you don't have it all together. Second, I know that you are called to do great work for God. I don't know what that looks like for you, but none of you are called to be a shepherd in Midian metaphorically speaking. You're called to confront the inner pharaoh of shame and fear and scarcity, to bring God's people to freedom, 
to taste that freedom for yourself, to speak with God face to face as Moses did. You see, as we become mature in our faith, it is not that we finally figure it out, that we finally get all our ducks in a row, that we finally get it all together. It's that we realize that God has it all together and that Christ died on a cross so that in his time, he might be the one to put us back together. It is this knowledge that changes us from the inside out and allows our life to be a blessing. And I know what you're thinking. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm not strong. I'm not special. I don't have it all together. Who am I? You are the perfect vessel to display God's strength. And you always have been, and you always will be. For with God, how could it be otherwise?